0: Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth, brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors.
1: Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. For all the often breathless talk in the tech sector these days about the metaverse, no one quite agrees on how to precisely define it. But there seems to be a growing consensus that whatever it is exactly, virtual and augmented reality on steroids, the convergence of our physical and digital identities, it is poised to become a major factor in both our personal and professional lives. On today's pod, we are going to begin to explore the metaverse with a guest episode from At the Edge, the new podcast from McKinsey's Tech Council, which recently launched with a three-part series on the topic. In this inaugural episode, tech futurist author and corporate advisor Kathy Hackel shares her informed perspective on what the metaverse is, how it's currently manifesting, and what it might evolve into in the future. She also talks to McKinsey's Mina Aligband about the potential opportunities and responsibilities for businesses as the metaverse develops. Over the next couple of months, we'll present two more guest episodes from this special at the edge podcast series. So let's get started on our journey into the metaverse.
2: The metaverse is here and evolving. Is your business prepared? If you wait a year and a half or two years to do something
0: and to have a clear strategy and start testing and testing these assumptions, it might be a little
2: bit too late. That's Kathy Hackle, tech futurist and metaverse expert. She's a sought-after advisor to luxury brands, prolific writer, and headlines many of the leading conferences on the metaverse. She joins me today. This is the first of a three-part series on the metaverse. I'm Mina Alagband. Welcome to At The Edge, a production of McKinsey's Technology Council. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us for our inaugural episode. Excited to be here. Maybe I could just start by asking you, what is the metaverse?
0: Yeah, so I think it's important to start by saying that there is really no agreed upon definition right now. There's actually something I do every morning with my morning coffee. It's become a bit of a ritual. I go to the Merriam-Webster dictionary and I type the word in metaverse. And what it says is this word is not in the dictionary. But I mean, if we needed to define it, I tend to have a pretty expansive view of what the metaverse is, I believe it's a convergence of our physical and digital lives. It is kind of like our our digital lifestyles, which we've been living in, you know, on phones or computers, kind of slowly catching up to our physical lives in some ways. So that full convergence, it is enabled by many different technologies like AR and VR, which are the ones that most people tend to think about, Uh, but they're not the only ones. Those are entry points. There's also blockchain, of course, which is a big component. There's 5G, there's edge computing, there's Many, many different technologies. To me, the metaverse is also about our identity and it's about digital ownership. And it's about a, you know, kind of a new extension of human creativity in some ways. But it's not going
2: to be like one day we're going to wake up and be like,
0: the metaverse is here. It's going to be an evolution.
2: Yes, that's really, really resonant. Could you paint us a more specific picture? What might a young woman's life look like in 10 years in the metaverse?
0: So what I envision, she wakes up, she starts her morning routine and thanks to her voice advisor. She actually goes into her closet and looks at her volumetric version of herself and like an avatar, let's say, uh, like a hologram of herself. And she starts trying on clothes using that volumetric version of herself that has all her measurements. Through that, she selects what she's going to wear. There is a digital component to, you know, to what she is wearing, where she can alter what people see depending on, on who it is that, you know, that she's with. It goes into a whole journey of her wanting to uh, plan her family's vacation, right? So she's able to kind of, through her wearable, she's able to kind of look at the cliff and and where the house that she's thinking of renting is and what it looks over and what the room structure is going to be There's a part where she's actually meeting with her boyfriend, who is actually in a different country. There's haptics involved, so they actually share a kiss, and there's nanoparticles in her lipstick. Um, So it's like a whole journey, right? There's AI, there's a whole bunch of different things happening in the space. So much of what we've read about the metaverse from sci-fi, right, has been pretty dystopic. And I'm not trying to be necessarily utopic, I'm trying to be more protopic about it, but I do think that we need to envision what they could potentially look like so we can build towards it, towards a more positive view of the future, where we don't want to escape reality, where it's more like we embrace reality and we are augmented with virtual content and virtual experiences that can make things more fulfilling, that can make us feel more connected to our loved ones, make us you know more productive at work and happier people.
2: I think most of the sort of investors and builders in this space are already describing this as a 10-year project to build this sort of digital reality in which many of the experiences we have today will be translated, but also many of the new experiences may be developed. What are some of those experiences that you're seeing in the business world, that you may be seeing in your family life, that might bring to life a little bit of what the early metaverse looks like?
0: Yes, yeah, so from an early metaverse perspective, there's a lot of things that you're seeing right now, glimpses of the metaverse or what I call metaverse moments, right? So I'll give you a personal example. My concert, and, and you know, a lot of the listeners' first concerts were probably in a stadium, right? For my son, who is 10 years old, his first concert was Little Nas X in Roblox during the pandemic, and just because it happened in a virtual space didn't make it less real to him. If you ask him about his first concert, he will say it was in Roblox. I'll give you another example. During the pandemic, we actually hosted a Roblox birthday party for my son. The way his avatar showed up at that party was very important to him. Just the same thing as if he were going to go to a physical party, he'd probably worry about what shirt he was wearing or or what have you. So I think it's this evolution in how we tended to separate What we do in the virtual space, as opposed to what we do in the physical world, that's further converging, right? Especially with the newer generations. I would also say a big thing I'm seeing in business right now is trying to understand how commerce is evolving as we head into the metaverse and into these new virtual spaces and and virtual shared experiences, both in the virtual space, but also in the physical world. You also have, you know, virtual to virtual commerce which has been happening for decades in the gaming space and now is kind of something that a lot of people are interested in talking about, right? And that's, that's where I would be in a platform, let's say like Fortnite, and use Bucks to buy a skin. What I'm interested in exploring beyond the virtual-to-virtual, virtual, which obviously is growing, is also the virtual-to-physical component of how am I in a virtual experience and purchase something that could arrive physically at my home Or the other one, which would be the physical to virtual. What if I am buying a physical item in a physical experience that unlocks something for me in a virtual space? So I'm really interested in looking at how those business models, those new commerce models evolve, and potentially thinking through commerce
2: models that we don't even know are going to be created. You mentioned this idea of gaming being sort of the earliest iteration of the metaverse. How is the metaverse actually different from gaming? Or gaming with VR instead of gaming in a console. Could you explain the difference?
0: So I see gaming as the on-ramp. So when you talk about some of those enabling technologies or the infrastructure that's needed, you can't escape talking about game engines like Unreal or Unity, right? Because a lot of these virtual experiences are built on those game engines. They're linked. You can't really separate them, but they're not the same thing. I would also argue from an anthropological standpoint, that there's a really interesting shift happening in the idea and the concept of work. So I think that there is an evolution where work is starting to become, for some of us, maybe less physical and more mental. And because of that, because of some of the tools that we're starting to use, it's becoming more fun and sometimes more gamified. And I see this with my children. When I think about what are the jobs they're going to have in the future, they're going to be very much tied to creativity and building, but not building in the physical form, building in these virtual spaces. I always use a phrase, in the metaverse, we are all world builders and now is your time to build. So I'm not saying that we're going to get rid of the physical labor because we are still physical beings in a physical world. But I do think that the concept of work is expanding and gaming is a part of that future.
2: Yeah, I'm really actually struck by this statistic that I recently read in a McKinsey report, which said that the majority of jobs that our children will have are jobs that don't exist today. Now, one of the big debates is, how big is this metaverse economy? Is it a billion-dollar economy? Is it a trillion-dollar economy? Could you help paint us a picture of what those economic opportunities are that are emerging in the metaverse? And what does a trillion-dollar or billion-dollar vision of where this goes look like?
0: You know, when you start to think about how much is being spent on direct-to-avatar, what I call the direct-to-avatar model which is a new direct consumer model you know i think the estimates are 100 million dollars spent in 2021 inside gaming platforms for you know for virtual goods that's a number that's going to keep expanding so i see these projections very possible when someone says 800 billion by 2024 one trillion dollars i see them as very possible numbers especially when you start to look at commerce right beyond just virtual virtual commerce but Thinking of the physical to virtual and virtual to physical commerce, those unlocking those at scale, that's why a company, for example, like Apple is going all in on what they're calling augmented reality and potentially leading us to whatever comes after the mobile phone. So yeah, I mean, I can't say this projection is correct or this projection isn't correct, but what I can say is what I am seeing through the signals and the work I am doing is that there are massive opportunities to take these new commerce models to take them and do them at scale, which unlocks huge opportunities.
2: Okay, can you give us some specific examples about this kind of crossover economy between digital and physical? I'm thinking of that example of Decentraland that has become kind of, you know, metaverse law where, you know, people in Decentraland would be ordering pizzas in a virtual Domino's and then a pizza would turn up at their door.
0: Yes, that happened. It seems like a long time ago, but it hasn't been that long. But you know, the fact that they were in a virtual space and they order a pizza that physically arrived at their home, Boson Protocol, I think is doing some really interesting work and also enabling for people to be able to purchase physical items in virtual spaces. So I find that really interesting. Then you also have the component of being able to do physical to virtual. So in this case, LOL dolls, the, you know, the big sensation, which a lot of kids love, they actually have created some card packets. That have a QR code. So you buy the physical item, but there is a QR code that unlocks an NFT and unlocks virtual experiences. So these are things that have not been done at scale, but that I know are going to eventually be done at scale by the leaders of today and tomorrow in commerce and understanding that, you know, the customer journey in shopping and the purchase points are changing. So those are, you know, some very simple examples. I also think as someone that is actively investing in a lot of web three companies and actively buying NFTs as well, trying to understand the utility. It's interesting to see how things are starting to evolve. So I'll give you an example there. So I recently bought a membership to the Flyfish Restaurant which is an NFT restaurant of sorts. Only NFT holders can make a reservation there. And the restaurant potentially will open in 2023. So I'm making a bet, right? I'm making a bet that buying this membership into this restaurant that eventually I can host business meetings at or have special celebrations in is going to be something that is going to be worth more than I currently paid for. So I'm testing these things out. I think we're testing a lot of assumptions right now. And some of those will be proven to be correct.
2: So Kathy, I want to take us down a bit of a different path. Can you help us think through what brands should be thinking about in terms of their identity in the metaverse?
0: So a lot of the companies I work with, what I say to them is like, this is your chance to reimagine what do you become, you know, when you're in the metaverse? What is the extension of of who you are? Just because you sell a physical good in the physical world, do you have to replicate it in the same way? Or do you even launch a new brand? Right. A new brand that is Web3 based, that, you know, is collaborated and co-created where you don't have to necessarily worry about the IP that you have created. It might be ways to create new things. And a lot of what I've seen over the last year is that a lot of these companies and brands have probably done something already. You know, they dipped their toe. They did something in the marketing department, put a lot of pressure. They wanted to jump in. Now they're taking a step back and saying, OK, great, we did this. What does it really mean? And that's when they're really thinking, what does it mean for our company, for our brand DNA, for everything that we stand for? You know, what are the potential OKRs? What is the potential ROI? Which is obviously very nascent. You know, you can have projections on numbers, but do you really know? Not really. Everything's evolving. We can still test assumptions. So some of those assumptions and some of those pilots might fail, but the brands might still get a pass. If you wait a year and a half or two years, To do something and to have a clear strategy and start testing and testing these assumptions, it might be a little bit too late.
2: I agree that the metaverse adds a new layer of complexity. These aren't just marketing metrics. We may have to think really about sort of revenue and more holistic metrics as well. What are the kinds of other metrics that will emerge in this new environment? So there definitely will be new metrics. If we've
0: been measuring things by likes and shares and subscribers, especially when you go into experiences, when you go into community, what, what does it mean? Like, are you going to measure by the number of people on your Discord channel? But what if half of them are bots? So I think, yeah, it's an evolution. But there are ways to plan to be able to kind of know what you're measuring and, and try to have a clear idea of what, what does success mean with each pilot that you do? What is it that you're trying to test and what are you trying to learn? And that will definitely dictate success beyond just a financial number.
2: Brilliant. So Kathy, how do business leaders distinguish between the hype and the reality? Where should they be investing today to make sure that they have you know, the foundation of access to Web3 over the next decade as it matures? So I think we definitely have
0: to admit that there is hype. There is an uh, overuse of the word. There's people wanting to do things just because they're metaverse or do an NFT because it's an NFT. So what I would say to executives that are looking at this is three things they can start doing today. Education, number one. So listening to this podcast, reading a book, reading Matthew Ball's essays, uh, reading any of my work, educating yourself so you understand a little bit more what's happening is going to be critical, but also allowing your company, the people inside your company and your staff and, and your teams to be educated as well, because education is power. Then I would say, once again, I always go back to being strategic about this and really thinking through And If you already activated in the metaverse as a marketing activation, take a step back create a holistic strategy. And I would say number three is look internally at who within your company has the experience that you need right now to start thinking about the metaverse, start building teams. You might have innovation teams that might have been developing AR and VR for a very long time. They are leaders. They know how to think in 3D. They know how to think spatially. You might have crypto natives that work for you that you don't even know are crypto natives. Sometimes the smartest person might be the youngest person in the room. And if you do not have them, who do you need to bring in your talent pool? Which I think, you know, we currently have a talent war. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. It's about to get a lot harder.
2: So, Kathy, there's a lot of excitement about Web3 in the metaverse. But what are you most concerned about?
0: Privacy. I worry a lot about data and privacy and a lot of the challenges that we might not even know might happen.
2: Kathy, I agree. And this is something that, you know, keeps me up at night, I have to say. You know, it seems that we have so many of those questions still lingering in Web 2. You know, questions about identity and fitting in. You have questions about how women and minorities are treated. And we're seeing those things really play out in the metaverse. I layer into that these healthcare cases and embedded financial use cases that are emerging. And there's a lot of really sensitive data as well. So we see this range of issues in web two that are sort of continuing to play out in web three. We have a lot of business leaders listening to this podcast. What is their role in developing a metaverse that will be productive in society, that will create inclusive economies, and that are going to be areas that are safe for a new economy to develop? So, you know, what are you doing to make sure that
0: your hiring processes are expanding, that you're not only necessarily recruiting from one specific Geographic region because that's where you've recruited talent, um, especially when you're thinking metaverse teams. Look at the skills <laughs> because if you are creating a metaverse team, they should be distributed. I mean, if you can, right? If you're if you're a sea level, I, I completely understand being on site because you know that is necessary. But I think being very vocal, and that's something I try to do. I'm very very vocal in allowing more women, more minorities, more LGBTQ folks to know that they are welcome in this future. They are welcome to. Build this future. Another part that I'm very passionate about is also educating lawmakers. You know, I live in Washington, DC, so going to Capitol Hill and talking to them about these technologies and helping them, you know, answer their questions and helping them up level their own knowledge so that, you know, some of the challenges of Web 2 might not happen as they did in Web 3 because we might have to have those very uncomfortable conversations right now. And I would say checking our biases. I'll give you a very clear example. I was giving a talk to the Department of Labor. And I was having a conversation about how wonderful immersive technologies would be for someone that, you know, would be in a wheelchair and they'd be able to see themselves walk. And someone checked me and they said, what if a part of their identity is their wheelchair that they're in and they are comfortable with that? Why would you want to take that away? And I said, I'm looking at this with a lens of a bias. So I checked the bias, you know, just like you would in anything, but especially when you're creating new worlds and you're creating the future of the
2: internet. Kathy, thank you as always for, you know, bringing the metaverse to life and really helping our listeners understand what the opportunities might be in front of them. Well, I am so happy to have been here and I will see everyone in the metaverse. Thanks for listening to At The Edge. I'm Mina Alec Please go to mckinsey.com to read more of our latest publications on the metaverse. And if you like what you heard just now, please leave a rating and a review. See you soon. This has been
0: McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.